I'm gonna tell you right now, it's still weird to hear Pastor Lyle. That is a weird title for me, probably for my Sunday school teachers back in the day, to see uh, Pastor Lyle. <laughs> they wouldn't have seen that in a five-year-old Lyle. Um, there was many times where the corner was a good thing for me to collect my thoughts and to um, calm down and not act so rambunctious. But I'm excited to be here today to preach God's word. And it's a funny thing when somebody asks if I'm ready, I'm going to tell you right up, no. I got stuff, I got notes, but you're never ready to bring God's word because it's piercing your heart. It's something that's challenging you. And <laughs> as I was doing today's sermon, the heart at which I come, what gospel do I follow? It talks about the heart. It was something that I got to think on, and I think something happened this week that illustrates this point. Uh, for those that watch football, there was a Monday night game. And a player had to have 10 minutes of CPR on the field where he had a cardiac arrest and it was very severe to the point of where it was life and death. And they canceled the game because players had never been to that point where they saw life and death on the field. And one of the things going through the NFL right now is pray for... Hamlin is his last name. And they have their number everywhere, and you see teams, believers, non-believers, taking a knee in the middle of the field and praying. And one of the and even broadcasters saying, pray for this young man. And one of the things I want to challenge of, it's good. We should pray for this young man because that was a scary thing to see. But we should also pray for the heart of those people that are saying pray, do they actually mean it? Because I can say I can pray for this, but if I don't know God, if I don't know his gospel, I'm just doing something. I'm having this void that I'm just, there you go. And I think it's a great tie-in to our hearts the things that we come in, the things that we focus on. One of the things that I heard at Thanksgiving and throughout this new year is people are loving this culture of family. They're seeing how this change in the church where it's a family. And that's great, but we need to come back to the gospel. We can't have that full heart love just for the family, we have to realize God is the one that gave us this family aspect. His gospel, his truth, is the one that enables us to be imperfect people together rejoicing our God and Father. So will you join me in prayer as we pray, and then we'll dive into God's word. Jesus, Lord, I just want to lift you up. Lord, 
Thank you that you are a God that hears us, that you are a God that knows us, that you are a God that chooses to work in our lives. Lord, I pray that as I preach today, it won't be my words. I pray that I get out of the way and that you would be magnified. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities you give. For the people in my life that challenged me, that uh, helped me grow, but ultimately, Lord, it was your provision. Lord, I pray for the people right here listening, that we can really see what your word's trying to bring out and that we can give heart and attention to areas that we need to work on. Lord, I pray that you be honored in your name. Amen. Well, when talking about the heart, I think it's good to hear from the Bible things where God directly talks about our heart and our mind. So I'm going to spitfire some verses for you that you might know. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Romans 12.2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, so that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's just four verses. If you look throughout the Bible, you could probably find a lot more where it talks about our heart and mind. But if you see in all these verses, there's an aspect of guarding, being diligent, and knowing what you're following. There's an importance of knowing what you are rooted in. And when I'm saying rooted, it's that love and affection of what do I love? You know, when it talks about for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There is that aspect where if your love is for money, you can't serve two masters. Or if... I have a love of sports, my life's going to show that because I'm going to put time away to watch sports, practice sports, play sports. Now, if we're talking about what I'm rooting in, if I have a love for Christ and his gospel, what's that going to show? I'm going to take time to be in his word, to pray, to not just do things for myself. It's going to change the way that I think with the ways that the things that I love and that I'm rooted in. Now, it's interesting how the things that we love affect that outflow. And so it's important, as a youth group, our word this year is foundations. Because it's important those things that you set. And for us, our foundation needs to be the gospel. What Christ did for our lives. And Christ is calling us to the gospel, and we have to realize it's his work. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 21 to 25, 
For you have been called for this purpose, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you would follow in his steps. He who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself brought our sins in his body up on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. We have to rest in Christ's sacrifice. The gospel the good news that Christ died on the cross for our sins. And we have to believe that and have faith in Christ's work and churn away from our sins. Now, we can look at Christ's life, but it also needs to be evident. If we believe in it, there's going to be fruit. And if we have that love of the gospel, it's going to affect everything that we do. Pastor Kyle spent six months, and in each sermon, there's a focus on the gospel, gospel in the family, gospel at work, gospel in my own personal life. And we can throw around the word gospel, but if we are constantly thinking of what God did, the payment for our sins, bringing a way to not be put to hell, but to be brought into his presence, constantly in life, it changes the way that we live our life because we realize there's something greater and that we are not in control. Dwight L. Moody said, the most solemn truth in the gospel is that the only thing Christ left down here is his blood. When learning and growing, it is always good to have an example, whether good or bad. Usually, Jesse learned from my bad example of things not to do and didn't get as, in as much trouble as I did because I would be the one put to blame. And Jesse was very good at observing. But it's also good to have good examples in our lives. And when it comes to living in Christ, Christ is the ultimate example of the gospel, sacrifice, love, and much more. And since we are not perfect, I thought it would be good to have an example of somebody that we can relate with. And we've been talking about the gospel, we've been in Romans, and I thought Saul, or Paul, would be a good guy for us to look on. Now, I'm going to give a disclaimer. Right now, you're going to hear a lot about Saul and Paul, but that's not the focus. The focus of Paul's life was to glorify the gospel. It was nothing great Paul did. He would tell you that he was the least of the disciples. And so as I'm using Paul as an example, 
I want us to focus on Christ's work in Paul's life. Not Paul, the things that he did. We're going to use those as examples. But that God gets all the glory. God was the one that worked in his life. God was the one that called Saul to him. So, we need to know a little bit about Saul. Saul was a Judaizer. Now, uh, Thomas read Acts 9. And one of the things that you'll also see in Acts 8, Saul was the big cheese. He was setting a stage for himself. He was very proactive, zealous for the traditions. Now, back in the day, there was this thing where a lot of people didn't read. And the rabbis and the priests were the teachers of the Old Testament. And it was a lot of things that they would say, and the traditions were given to the Jewish people, And that was where they sat instead of reading the Old Testament. And so Saul was all about the traditions, and that's where you see him persecute the church. And that was his big ambition moving up in the ranks. And he was well known. And you'll see at the end when they were stoning Stephen, they like came to Saul And then that's when Saul started persecuting the church, and then he met God. (laughs) And so I think it's important to see that Saul's heart before Christ was the love of people, the love of this is the way things should be, love of himself, my power, where I should be. And then... When Christ met him and he saw Christ's power, he was taken down a couple of pegs. And he realized that it's nothing he does, but it was God. And so then his love became of God and his saving work. And it shows when he talked to the church, to when he wrote the letters, to when he diligently went out and talked to fellow believers and pointed them to Christ. And so I got stuck on Galatians 1, one of his letters. And something about this letter stood out because it's not like all the other ones. He was a little bit more direct, but not as personal. He was personal in the aspect of he knew their sin in their hearts and targeted it and made sure that they knew that they were deserting the one true gospel, the one true Christ. And he wanted them to get back to it. And he was very direct in this because something that was going on on was these false teachers were coming on and they were adding or subtracting things from the gospel and not seeing Christ as the one true king. And they were deserting it. So, let's read this letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians 1. 
So will you follow along as I read? Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sons so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. That's just the intro. Okay? He's really setting the stage of that. It's God's work, not man's. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advanced in Judaism beyond many of the contemporaries among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even through my mother's rooms and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who are apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. As we see in this intro, this greeting in Galatians 1, Paul kept coming back to the gospel. The church knew it. The church of Galatia knew what Paul was telling them about Christ, what it meant in their life. And Paul was talking about this because he saw it in his life of the importance of staying rooted in Christ's work. Not anything that Paul did. (laughs) And he repeated himself. And I think it's good. That's why in the youth group, in our youth classes, we have this thing called the Stupid Sheep Club. Because... We're like stupid sheep and we don't always listen. We like to go off on our own way. And Paul kept coming back to this main point that it was God, not anything that somebody does. And so if you hear me repeating a lot of words, it's because we're like stupid sheep and we need to keep hearing that God is the one doing the work and we need to have that in our lives. We need to keep coming back to Christ. We need to keep coming back to 
his gospel. Oswald Chambers would agree with Paul when he says, if in preaching the gospel you substitute your knowledge of the way of salvation for confidence in the power of gospel, you hinder people from getting people to reality. It's important to know who we are accountable to and why we believe the things that we believe. So we do not fall prey to the false teachings that are so prevalent around us. Paul was challenging the church of Galatia and crying out to them, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. It wasn't that he was saying that they were personally doing something wrong or changing something, a different gospel. It wasn't the one true gospel. They were going off from what was preached to them, from the truth. And so Paul shows us some important things in his intro to the Galatians. So what we're going to do is we're going to break down some things Paul knew. We're going to look at the becauses, and then we're going to look at actions. And as we do this, I want to challenge you to think of, how does this apply to my life? If I was called by God to his gospel to be following him, what are those things in my life? So as we see in Galatians 1, Paul said, I'm an apostle, not sent for man, nor through agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. We see Paul knew the call. Paul knew the call. In Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This call was the gospel. Christ's saving work in his life, he knew that that was the motivation, the reckoning point for him to change his life. Paul knew that he was not in control. You see it again in Galatians 1. And you see it in Acts 9 when he was blinded when God met him on the road. And he had that point where he knew he was powerless in front of God. It wasn't man's gospel or Paul's gospel. It was God. And it wasn't anything special that Paul did. Paul was available. God worked through Paul. Now, Paul knew God's sacrifice. So he knew the call. He was called. He knew he wasn't in control, but he also knew God's sacrifice and what it meant to all that were around him, the true gospel. And this is something that he kept repeating over and over. And the last point is Paul knew the importance of staying rooted in the gospel, having that love constantly in God's sacrifice, in what God had given him. 
It's evident in all his letters to the churches. In some sort of fashion, in that intro, he would remind them of Christ, Christ's work in their life. I'm excited that Christ is doing this in your life. And even in this greeting where it's more of a, hey, you need to come back to the gospel. He still has a love of what Christ was doing in his life. So we're going to revisit these points. We see that he knew the call, knew that he was not in control, knew God's sacrifice, and knew the importance of staying rooted in the true gospel. And we're going to do the becauses. Now, Paul knew the call because he was called. We see that Galatians 1, 11 through 17, where he talks about his life, his apostleship, of where God knew him, set him apart in his mother's womb. And in the same way, for those that say we are Christian, that say, I follow Christ, in that same aspect of we were called by Christ, we have that same accountability to God, to his work. Now, Paul knew that he was not in control because he saw God's power in his life and conversion to Christ. He had a very physical moment, bright light, got to talk to God, and had to wait for someone to come to him and talk about Christ. But I want us to think, when are those moments that we've seen God's power in our lives? When we've had, I can say that I follow Christ, but where are those moments that I've said, Lord, you are actually in control and I need to give this to you. Because if we know that we're not in control, we're going to realize that God is the one in control. And we're going to have to let him go instead of us trying to hold on to the wheel and try to do stuff. Paul knew God's sacrifice because it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you look in Acts 9, 17 to 19, it gives us a little hint of what I'm talking about here, of where it says, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hand on it, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Paul knew of God's work because he saw God work in his life. He saw the Holy Spirit fill him to the point of where his life was not his own. 
And you can see that in many different things that he wrote. And so for us, do we actually have those moments of where we're letting the Holy Spirit work? Do we say, Lord, I want you to work in this area of my life? Because these two points, when we're talking about not in control and new God's sacrifice, I can know about God's sacrifice but do my actions, the things I do, show that I'm living fully in Christ's work? I like to say that he's in control, but I also like to rely on my abilities, the things that I do. And when we think of it, we need to rest in Christ's redeeming work in our lives, in all areas of our life. In this last point, Paul knew the importance of staying rooted in the true gospel because he knew of his life before Christ and the transforming work the gospel had in his life. I find it interesting that they use the word zealous um, for Paul in his life before Christ. Because he was zealous for this work, which means he was all in. He was all in for persecuting the church. He was all in for traditions. And then when he met Christ, he was zealous for Christ, for his work, for his glory. It's a 360, or not a 360, a 180. Because he turned completely away from what he had been doing. Maybe if we think of that verse, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We can see in Paul's life that he did a 180, but are there things in my life that are still part of my old life? If I say I'm following Christ, but I'm holding on to aspects that I think is good, that might not actually be good, who's in control? And that's for something for us to look in our lives. We can see examples of Paul as he's focusing on the gospel. But what does that mean for us? Now, Paul knew of these works in his life and events, and it would motivate him. He would want to call out people. He would want to point them to Christ. But it's important that we also see that he acted on the things he knew, but also he came in a place of humility. And we find this in 1 Corinthians 15. And there's a verse here that he talks about his personal attitude of himself as an apostle. I'm going to start in verse 1. Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and which you also stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold firmly to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. As you can see, Paul's letters... Gospel is everywhere. 
Christ's redeeming work. For I handed down to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one ultimately born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Paul could add to my disclaimer at the beginning. It was by God's grace. I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. And he said that he had to labor even harder, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Paul's attitude shows that he was not in control, that he knew about God and knew God's work. And that brings us to these actions. And this first one that we see is Paul humbled himself before God and obeyed Christ's direction in his life and turned away from his old life. When he was called, he had to actually listen. He humbled himself, his ambitions, his zealous attitude towards building up these Judaizer traditions, different things. He had to get out of the way and say, Lord, it's all you. But it was still with him. He still had that guilt of realizing that he did persecute God's church. He did sin against the holy God. And he humbled himself and repented and turned away from that. Second point is Paul humbled himself to God's work and call and proclaimed the gospel everywhere he went. Paul devoted his life to the gospel and teaching others about it. Now, that first point, we can obviously see a call. We can know God's sacrifice. We can pray for him to forgive our sins and start trying to do good things. But this second point hits a little harder. If I truly believe in God's work, it's going to affect everything that I do. 
It's going to affect the way that I think of how I approach a situation, how I come to work, how I conduct myself at work, how I conduct myself in my family. How do I talk to my kids? How do I talk to the person that just cut me off in the middle of the road? How do I respond to the person who I think has wronged me? If God is in control and it's God's work, how do I proclaim the gospel in every action? Everywhere I go. Even on the road. Sorry, Molly, I had to add that point. I had to do that point because I'm not a honker, but Molly makes sure that the people know that they did something wrong because she honks for me. So that's why you need a better half when you get married. The third point is Paul put others before himself so he could be relatable and for them to be able to hear the gospel. Paul had no reserve about his life. His only focus was Christ and his gospel. That zealousy of persecuting the church turned to zealousy for God, his work. I'm going to do all this for Christ's name. And we can see that when 1 Corinthians 9, another letter, 19 to 26, Three says, for though I am free from all people, I have my, made myself a slave to all, so that I may gain more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I may gain Jews. To those who are under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, so that I might not gain those who are under the law, to those who are without the law. I became as one without the law, though not being without the law of God, under the law of Christ, so that I may gain those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I may gain the weak. I become all things to all people, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I might become a fellow partaker of it. Paul did all this, this love of the gospel, so that he could rejoice in Christ's work. So that I may become a fellow partaker of it. His fervent work in sharing the gospel and writing the letters, being persecuted, wasn't to establish his name. It was to establish God's name but also so that he could rejoice with the people that he ministered to and be a partaker of it. Be able to rejoice in God's work. Number four, Paul diligently focused on Christ's mercies and used that as a motivation to stay faithful through life and persecution. A lot of you know my favorite 
verse. And it's Romans 12, 1 through 2. And it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, and that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul wrote this. He said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, by the things God does, to do this. And do not be conformed to this world. If we look at that, Paul changed the things in his life by focusing on Christ's work, Christ's mercies, that gospel. And that's what motivated him through the severe persecution, the shipwrecks, the being in prison, the being run out of so many different places. I think the being run out of different cities was why he was able to go to so many more places. Because once he was kicked out, he had to go somewhere else. In a book, a Christian author wrote this about Galatians. The gospel, if it is really believed, removes neediness. The need to be constantly respected, appreciated, and well-regarded. The need to have everything in your life go well. The need to have power over others. All of these great, deep needs continue to control you only because the concept of the glorious God delighting in you with all his being is just that, a concept and nothing more. Our hearts don't believe it, so they operate in default mode. Paul is saying that if you want to really change, you must let the gospel teach you. That is to train, discipline, coach you over a period of time. You must let the gospel argue with you. You must let the gospel sink down deeply into your heart until it changes your motivation and views and attitudes. You must let the gospel argue with you. Christ's redeeming work, Christ's sacrifice on that cross to what he calls us to greater things of living not to my sinful fleshly desires. That's the argument that's going on. I want this. But Christ said, I've called you to more. I have paid it for you so that you could be with me. So we come to what is important for us to take away. And if you haven't caught on, I took those four points and we just keep adding on. But I added a fifth one in this. So, you know, there's four plus one. But the first one is we have to know that we are called to Christ by his saving gospel. His sacrifice for our lives. Hopefully, 
for coming to church. And we're here in the body of Christ. We have heard the call from Christ and given our lives to Christ and repented from our sins and turned away. If you have not, I urge you to really think about what is Christ's sacrifice in my life? Have I actually turned to him? Do I know about this saving gospel, the one true gospel, or do I follow a different gospel, one that makes sense in my mind? Do I actually see Christ's work? Number two is we have to turn away from our old lives and completely follow Christ. We are sinners and need to be forgiven by Christ. That's what we were talking about, the repenting. We can take Paul again. The things before and after Christ. He had the love of himself, the power, what he was doing. And when he was called by Christ, it completely changed. And his life was devoted to furthering the gospel. So for us, have I turned away from my old life? Have I completely gave it to Christ? Third thing is we need to humble ourselves before Christ and his teaching. For someone that was raised up in the church, this is a hard one. Because we know the stuff to say. And we can get prideful and arrogant in the church. We can become hypocrites because I go to church. I'm all right. I know God. That's not the point. We need to constantly subject ourselves to God's word, to what he's saying us, to challenge our hearts. And are we living fully for him? Because it's his work. It's what he did. And we have to realize that and say, Lord, I need to get out of the way. What do I need to do? Now, if you're going to pray this, you need to have a sincere heart when you pray it. I'm going to give you an example. There was a time, Stephanie will remember this, We were sitting in the group downstairs on a Wednesday night. It was a week before the parking lot party. And we were doing prayer requests. And one of the prayer requests that I put before the group was that I saw my priorities weren't right. Of that I had too much going on and that I wanted... Lord to work and the Lord to be clear and evident. So we prayed. Three days later, I somehow fell asleep in my brother's loft bed and I rolled out into what I thought was his bed and I broke my collarbone. And I had to get surgery and that was two days before the parking lot party. And God made it evident, oh, you prayed for priorities? Here you go. 
Now you have nothing to do, and you can focus on me. So if you pray for us to be humbled before God and his teachings and for him to teach you something, you need to come with the right heart and be ready to be taught that. Or if God just wants to teach you, he's going to teach you because he loves you. And you might not even have to pray. Number four is we need to fully trust and obey Christ and his direction. We need to fall down. We need to kneel before his direction, his word, his love. We need to be rooted and have a love for his work. And this last point is we need to constantly guard our hearts and be accountable to God's work. That's what Paul was saying to the Galatians. You're easily walking away from the gospel to a different gospel. That's why if you look at those beginning verses that we started off with, a lot of it was about guarding our heart, not trusting our understanding. We need to be accountable to who God is. We need to come back to his word and have a focus on God and his word. John MacArthur said this, The gospel according to Jesus explicitly and unequivocally rules out easy believism. That's a new word. To make all of our Lord's difficult demands apply only to a higher class of Christians blunts the force of his entire message. It makes room for a cheap and meaningless faith, a faith that may be exercised with absolutely no impact on the fleshly life of sin. That is not a saving faith. This easy believism is God just doesn't make our life grand and spectacular. It's a process. Sins in the world, we have consequences because of that sin. But God loving us, being rich in mercy, gave us a way to be with him, to take us away from that. And we need to start right where we began. We've heard the gospel, we've seen examples of it, we have things that we can take away, but what are those different things that can be our different gospel? It can be that focus on family. I love how I feel accepted here. You're accepted here because Christ has called us to that. To love with his love. The different gospel could be how we serve. I feel accepted because I'm giving something. I'm a part of it. I'm a part of the work. I will let you know right now that that is one of the hardest things. I serve because Christ has called me to that. 
because he's saved me, so why can't I give that to others? And that's the heart at which we need to come. And it can break down and deceive us in different ways in the church. This one true gospel is not for the people on the street. It's for everyone. It's for us sitting right here. What are those things that easily distract us from Christ's redeeming work? From that one true gospel that Paul is constantly reminding this church of Galatia to come back to. So for us, what is that? Where are your hearts right now? What have been the things distracting you from living your life to the fullest by God's gospel, by what Christ has done in your lives? Will you join with me in prayer? Jesus, Lord, this is all about you. Lord, you know my heart. You know the hearts of the ones out there. Lord, I pray for the ones that haven't gave their life to you. Lord, I pray that you start pricking in their hearts and start revealing to them your truths, what you did for them on the cross. Lord, I pray for these people that they would give their lives over to you, Lord. But I also pray for many like me sitting in the seats saying that I follow the gospel. But many times I run to my abilities, to the things that I do, and I can distort the truth by not constantly coming to your grace, to your mercy, to your redeeming work. And Lord, I pray that's the heart of us all, that we can constantly come to you, fall before you, and allow you to work. Lord, I thank you for this time to be able to come, worship you. But Lord, I pray that you convict us. You reveal to us things that we need to work on that you make known what you want to do in our lives. Lord, thank you that you are God that chooses to love us. You're nothing special. And all the glory is to you. In your name, amen.